You're listening to a special extended edition of Matinee Minutia. Please stick around after the show for a brief interview with tonight's guest. Good evening, and welcome to the beautiful, historical Marionette Theater. Tonight, we're going to be way up in the air. Yes, with our hopes and dreams of escaping our reality and possibly moving on to better and brighter things. Well... If that doesn't grab you, maybe our uh, snack bar will. (laughs) Please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Oh, it is a uh, nice night in the old town tonight, Toppy. I was going to say it was a hot night, but we're not quite there just yet. Not quite, but... Um, I did go out and I heard the peepers, so the spring peepers are with us. Mm. Uh, it's that time of year. Yeah. Um, it's one of my favorite sounds, Demanda, are those spring peepers. They, they just show up for a few weeks this time of year, and then they're gone the rest of the year. They're tiny little tree frogs. Oh. And they peep. It's That's cute. It's, it's the things that you hear out here where we... Uh, we have a few more feet between our houses, you know. <laughs> yeah. By the way, uh, Gertie tells me that at the snack bar today, special feature, warm nuts. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> well, HR. Okay. <laughs> well, Toppy, um, you know, it's no secret that there are voices in the house. And for once, it's not just us talking to ourselves. I think we have some glamour, some mystery, and some fabulosity. Let our listeners know who has joined us in the box office this evening. We're very thankful once again tonight uh, for Demanda Martini to revisit us yet again. Demanda, welcome. Thank you so much again for having me. I uh, am very glad that uh, this time we're watching something uh, I is a little more palatable <laughs> yeah. than some of the, the last few uh Things we watched, but again, I always love uh, coming and talking to you guys here at the Marionette. It's uh, funny how that happens there. I mean, you know, sometimes when you get into the video store, it's just what's ever on the return desk. (laughs) 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 Well, Demanda, if you'll do us the honors, Gertie gets a little bit shy when there's another lady in the house, and she normally tells our listeners about what we're watching tonight. Sure. So tonight, tonight we are uh, watching a lovely film from 2003. Donna is a small town girl looking to break out of her mundane reality. She floats from one odd job to the next until one day she's inspired by a book by an ordinary flight attendant turned, uh, turned entrepreneur. Before long, her aspiration is to be Paris. First class. International. And and she'll set her sights at nothing less. Will she make friends along the way? Will she find love in gay Paris? Put on your traveling clothes and don't forget your boarding pass. It's time for View from the Top with Gwyneth Paltrow and Candace Bergen. (laughs) 
What do you get when you take a dash to the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies and a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. Oh, goodness, Toppy. Demand. Yeah, so, Toppy, you know, uh, just around the corner, in fact, I think it might even be, uh, well, ac- yeah, just around the corner is Easter or Passover for some of our um, observing friends. And yeah. all of the spring delights are out there, the brightly colored things and baskets with. Uh, baskets. With shredded death that you should not have in your home if you have animals, but. <laughs> true true of course uh, for me it's uh, merely an excuse to once again watch five hours of uh, uh, what's that Charlton Heston movie <laughs> parts the her. <laughs> he, Ten Commandments he parts the Ten Commandments Ten yeah. Commandments mm. yeah. Yeah. Do, yeah, yeah do you stand in your shower and pretend that you're him <laughs> no 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 <laughs> Oh, well, I do enjoy myself a Cadbury egg. How about you, Demanda? I love candy the most. (laughs) Uh, I uh, am also a huge jelly bean fan. Mm -hmm. Uh, So particularly the Starburst flavored jelly beans and the Jolly Rancher flavored jelly beans. But jelly beans in general, I'm, uh, you know, some people are like chocolate people. I'm like a... fruit flavored candy person especially like chewy kind starbursts uh jelly beans uh uh, sour patch kids those kind of things so that uh, easter and christmas are like super exciting for me because there's usually like good sales and also Mm -hmm. sour patch they're not like new new but they're more of a recent thing they have like the watermelons Mm. and the tangerines or not tangerines oranges or they're peaches. They're peaches. Regardless, they're orange little shaped butts, and they're so delicious. Ooh. <laughs> you know, um, well, some of our international friends enjoy the Cadbury, and it's sad that they were acquired. So some are just waiting for the day that the awful American companies uh, sunder their recipes. But <laughs> I uh, just briefly, I remember a time working at a hotel for one of the first times I worked at a hotel. And I had a uh, co-worker who was raised overseas. She was of Japanese descent. And she was talking about all of our cultural things, like what Easter is like. And she told me she'd never had a Cadbury egg. So I had to dash into the fray on my lunch to the convenience store across the way. And don't you know, they messed with my candy that year. They did not have any of the traditional classic Cadburys. They had just introduced the flavors and all I could find was the awful caramel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I used to love me uh, Cadbury eggs, um, but the last ten years they're just too much. Just mm-hmm. it's just too much sweet, and the well, ball it's just too much. Can't deal with it. Um. So before we get into our discussion, I thought I would treat our listeners with a teaser of the trailer for tonight's film. This is what you would have seen in theaters if you were of the movie sort, movie going sort. Back in 2003. Ever since Donna was a girl, no one believed she'd get very far. You're breaking up with me? 
In a birthday card? Well, they don't make breaking up cards. But that won't stop her from going places. Frankly, people, you can be whatever you want. Oh, why do you want to be a stewardess? Um, because of all the travel opportunities. We fly from Laughlin to Fresno. It won't be fast. Captain, we are... Captain? It won't be smooth. You ever been on a plane before? Yeah, you know. But this small town girl. I love that lipstick. Chanel, we are every bit as good as they are. Oh, we are. Is about to get a taste. Royalty Airlines job fair. Who's in? Of the big time. I'm John Whitney, head of the flight attendant trainee program. This one. I want my hand towels, okay. I want my little booties, and I want my warm nuts. I see the world Gwyneth Paltrow, Christina Applegate, Mark Ruffalo, Candace Bergen, with Kelly Preston, Rob Lowe, and Mike Myers. Don't ever let anything get in the way of your destiny. View from the top. Assess the window. It's assess the window. You put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. The wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> um, I did get to hear part of that, um, and and demand as you can imagine, that preview had a lot of the best lines. Oh, I, of, of course. The the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable is definitely something that I adopted in in my own vernacular for a long time, for sure. Uh, so I also just have to say, since we're talking about like preview stuff. Uh, behind Toppy, if you're watching us on the YouTube, obviously you are, is, is the poster art. And I have to say, it's one of those lovely posters from the early 2000s where literally none of those people are in that poster. It's just their heads photoshopped on models, oh. <laughs> and which is just incredible. And I love it. The art is just, I mean, obviously there is an artist who created that because uh, that's obviously not Candace Bergen. <laughs> and also, like, almost none of these actors were ever in a similar, like, a, the same scene altogether. Like, no one was there. So, like, they weren't going to, like, stop everyone to take a photo because, like, Rob Lowe what, worked, what, a day? Right. <laughs> Kelly Preston probably worked, like, three. <laughs> um, so, like, no, no one was all together to take a photo. So it's, like, just... Just photoshopped. It's fine. You, you know, they yeah. talk about the the heyday of travel because people used to dress up and there were all these expectations of what the flight crew was going to wear. Because, of course, all of the, uh, the pilots and co-pilots, they just basically wore a suit or a vest. But the women, sometimes they wore things that were just fancy paper in the day. And... Mm -hmm. To see Gwyneth Paltrow on this movie poster, I'm not going to lie. It looks like she's almost wearing a naughty nurse outfit. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. So I will also say, um, for those of us who are theater folk, um, a few years ago, I costume designed a farce called Boeing Boeing, which three of the characters are flight attendants uh, mm. in the 1960s. And these are very reminiscent retro of their actual uniforms that that they wore um which is which is cute a little sheath dress so uh for those of you watching like this little sheath dress 
that I'm wearing right now is also very flight attendant, where it's just like a solid color. If it was, if this was a uniform, it probably like them would have some kind of like design down the center, or down the side, or something. Um, but yeah, oh, uh, the uh, also. So you also brought up the fact that it was released in 2003. So kind of uh, interesting, sad trivia is that it was actually going to be released in, I want to say, October or November of 2001. Oh, yes. I didn't know that. Yes. And so it was delayed out of sensitivity to the recent September 11th uh, attacks, thinking that it it was too soon to release a very light comedy about airline attendants uh, right after that. Um, so the movie was in the can for like two years before it was released. Oh, and, mm. and building upon that demand, I actually also read in a little bit of trivia that uh, one of the problems they had with the timing of the release is be- uh, in the original script, they had training for the flight attendants that involved how to deal with a terrorist. Yes. Ah. So uh, obviously That's- that did not... Uh, make the cutting room (laughs) (laughs) survive it oh tell us uh how view from the top did in the box office all righty so view from the top it was a theatrical release that means it got out onto the silver screen people bought popcorn and lots of candy bars to see this and it came out in uh, around about the spring of that year of 2003. It was March 21st, 2003. Now, the top of the box office that year, and it's no secret that uh, to- View from the Top did not reach the top. Because he, we here at Matinee Minutia, we uh, love the underdog. And number one at the box office that year bringing in $339 million and, and perhaps paying off a disgruntled employee or two. Uh, it was a film with the voices of Albert Brooks and Ellen DeGeneres. Finding Nemo was the top of the box office that year. And uh, coming up, the rung below was number two, starring Johnny Depp in one of at least six installments in this series, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, otherwise known as Johnny Depp got to wear an eye patch and a hat again. Uh, I think that was the first one. Really? Uh-oh. It was, it was the beginning of a legacy. And speaking of a legacy, the third film in the top of that year, and this actually was the only of them that were sequels, was Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne in The Matrix Reloaded. Now, view from the top was... Uh, uh, it was 130... <laughs> Brought in fifteen point six million, so you know it might have paid um, Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, attorney fees, and uh, <laughs> one better than View from the Top that year, because we like to see how far we slipped down the rung of life. Um, was Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Not going to lie, this sounds interesting. It starred George Clooney and Drew Barrymore, and that brought in $15.9 million. Now, uh, just below view from the top was a film with Ashton Kutcher and Tara Reid, My Boss's Daughter, bringing in $15.5 million. So... 
all of these movies that you have mentioned, so like this time period, these early 2000s, was like my heyday of going to movies because I was a young adult. Uh, I was in college at this time. So the three movies that you that you mentioned that were at the top, which were uh, Finding Nemo, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, and Matrix, uh, the sequel, Reloaded, um, were all the huge summer blockbusters that year. Um, and... It, uh, again, like the, it's just so many memories coming back because I I don't remember Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, but like now that I'm, I mentioned it, it's okay. But uh, the Tara Reid Ashton Kutcher movie is definitely one of those movies that like my mom saw at BJ's and just like bought the DVD, <laughs> and so it was at home, and so you just kind of put it in on a Sunday afternoon while you were just like hanging out doing laundry. <laughs> um, <laughs> just again, the the memories that come flooding back. When you hear these movies, you know, I, I, on a note of my boss's daughter, I can't remember the name of the film, but, uh, I, I used to be in the habit of gifting movies because as a kid, that was one of the things my folks did was for your birthday or Christmas. Sometimes you got a copy of your favorite movie and, and it wasn't always a store bought copy either, but, (laughs) uh, anyways, I might (laughs) have bought a movie for a, uh, a, bo- a former boss, and um, uh, in hindsight, it was sort of inappropriate because I had to deal with um, trying to date the boss. <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to remember who was in that. Uh, I think it was Jennifer Aniston at the time. Oh, horrible bosses. Yes. Oh. So, top- well, one in the chat room, DJ, we've got uh, Crone who chimed in. She says, once, in a t- once upon a time, I had a cousin whose goal in real life was to be a flight attendant. Or rather, in those days, a stewardess. She was gorgeous, but that was apparently not enough. So it doesn't sound like a successful, maybe she didn't get into it. Just uh, previously, Crone demanda was uh, kind of telling the same story so so yeah again like i said in 2003 i was in my final year of college and so i didn't see this movie until it had probably just been released because i graduated in december of 2003 so when i was like home after that and so like the movie was on you know dvd rent you know renting it seeing it on cable uh, i was very like what am I going to do? Um, for, the, for those of us of that same generation, musical theater kids, uh, Avenue Q, What Do You Do With a B.A. in English is the song of that musical. For me, it's What Do You Do With a B.F.A. in Theater. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I saw this movie and it definitely inspired me to actually go to Delta Airlines. Uh, I went to the hub at Dullis Airport. <gasps> and, or was it BWI? Either, either, either way. Um, so, like, what you did when you went to apply is you went and you talked to a person, and they sort of like talked you through like things that would be required of you, um, what like sort of uniform you you would need to purchase for training, and uh, just sort of like the stuff. And then, uh, if you were really interested, uh, the, and like you had to do that in person for some reason, I. I don't know. Again, it was the early 2000s. It was 2004. Um, And then they give you, like, a paper application to fill out. 
and then you went home and while if you were serious you would mail in your application and then they'd start your background check and potentially call you in for like a serious interview uh but again part of that there were many reasons why i did not uh then become a flight attendant there were many factors but one of them was that back in those days there was still a height and weight requirement so uh, as someone who at the time was male presenting at 5'11", I had to weigh between, at the max, maximum, between 210 and 220 pounds. Uh, again, ish, I'm sure someone's like, I work for Delta, that never happened. Blah, blah. <laughs> that's how I remember it. I, I, I believe that's, I just remember it being like, for me, a sort of unattainable, like, that's my left leg, like that's not happening for me. <laughs> um, but uh, but th- that that wasn't the only reason that I did not pursue my thing. But this movie definitely inspired me. I was inspired also by uh, by Miss Weston's sort of glamorous mm. life in in being a flight attendant. You know, um, it uh, sort of goes along with the the legacy of women in entertainment because uh, uh, even on TV shows, much less a flight attendant, there were expectations for women on television. Very um, famously, the actress who was Lucille Ball's co-star on I Love Lucy, Vivian Vance, she was told that she had to maintain a certain weight to be on the show. But in this case, they they wanted her to be a little overweight so that they could make her the butt of the jokes. Right, right. Um, so the the way that they got around it in like the form, like when you're filling out stuff, is that we needed a weight requirements because you are going to be on an aircraft, and so they need to know how much you weigh in order for them to you it to be safe to be on the plane. I don't know what they do now. Again, none of my business. None of my never mind. Um, but uh. But yeah, just again, kind of, kind of wild things. Also, kind of side story, not related, but also kind of related. Um, it is also interesting that so in comic books, if people can see my background, I'm a huge comic book person. Um, in the Marvel universe, there are three jobs that women were allowed to have in Marvel up until about like in the '80s. It seemed that there were just like three jobs that women were allowed to have. One was a housewife. Uh, one was a fashion model. And the other was a charter pilot. There were lots of different female characters. Those were the three jobs that they were allowed to have. Um, and it's just interesting that like none of them were flight attendant, but it was a charter pilot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but also, uh, so, a side note to that side note. So Chris Claremont, who is a very famous writer of the X-Men series, wrote it for uh, over 30 years. Apparently his mother was a charter pilot, and that's why he enjoyed giving his female characters that job. Hmm. Nice. So, Tommy... well, let me tell you a little bit about the director. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name's Bruno Barreto, and uh, he's super famous in Brazil. He's one of Brazil's <laughs> he's one of Brazil's most accomplished and popular directors to this day. And he was making films ever since he was 17 years old. And they vary widely from light comedies like Dona Flor and Her Two Husbands, Bossa Nova, to tense political thrillers like Four Days in September. 
Uh, he's directed well over 17 movies, including View from the Top. Beretta was also a jerk and an asshat, having participated mm-hmm. in destroying protected jungle on Brazil's Pico Island to build his own home. He was charged in 2006 for illegally clearing protected forest land. And then he lied in court saying that he would demolish his house, restore the island. And the asshat believes that the rules don't apply to him since and has since done nothing that I could find to restore the island because he's a fucking asshat. So that's our director. Okay. Three things about that story. That was one of the wildest stories that I have ever heard on this show about a director, number one. <laughs> that I did not know where that was going to go. <laughs> My first question is, did he ever direct anything else in America? Yes, I think four days in September. He has He has done, um, yeah, he's done more than just you from the top. Okay, I, I haven't heard of him. I haven't either. Uh, no, number two... He's like the real life Cusco, where he just like went to an island and just was like, I want my vacation home here. Like that is so wild. And you said you you weren't able to sort of find anything about like what's happened since, even though well, he was kind of ordered to. For at least four years after the order, he definitely did nothing. And to my knowledge, he's still done nothing. Oh my god, that is Absolutely insane. This guy is an asshat. Wow. Wow. And you know, up until a few years ago, Gwyneth Paltrow kept sending him her candles at Christmas time, but she she started to getting them back. (laughs) All right. Tell us about Gwyneth Paltrow. Okay. Main main player here. Yes, sir. And uh, ironically, I think it was just the film after this that we uh, had Demanda guesting on in a past appearance. That was The Sky Captain, uh, which, of course, Angelina Jolie was much more enjoyable, and even though her scenes were so brief. So Gwyneth Paltrow played our lead character in this film, View from the Top. She played Donna, because what else would your name be if you were uh, growing up in a California trailer park? Uh, oh. A Nevada trailer park. A Nevada trailer park. That's right. Across the border. She was, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow was born in LA. And of course, the, the more importantly, she's the actress of Blythe Danner, or she's the daughter of actress Blythe Danner. And she averaged one film per year in her first five years of acting. Gwyneth Paltrow's earliest works were appearances in the 91 films Shout with John Travolta and as young Wendy in Steven Spielberg's Hook with Robin Williams. A year later, she had her first leading role in Jefferson in Paris with Nick Nolte by the director of Maurice and Howard's End. View from the Top was her 26th film. Paltrow would star in eight films over the next five years that followed, leading into her, the first of her appearances opposite Robert Downey Jr. in the Iron Man trilogy of films. And to date, Gwyneth Paltrow has 60 acting credits. Nice. So yeah, this was definitely uh, Gwyneth's like heyday of like, I've just won an Oscar. Everyone give me all of the movies. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, she's super appealing in this movie. Super appealing. She, this is also, in my opinion, uh, her most relatable era of her career, uh, where she was still like, oh, I'm just like a young girl. I think by the, because also, you know, this movie was filmed in, 2000, 2001-ish, if it was supposed to have been released at the end of t- uh, 2001. Um, but, like, th- this was, like, you know, when uh, she was, you know, dating Ben Affleck, and, like, uh, I just remember there was an amazing interview, and I may have said this when we did Sky Captain. So, forgive me, listeners, if you remember me telling this story. But she was, and I'll quickly go through it. So she was on Oprah, and someone asked her um, how it is that she maintained her figure. Like, what was her diet? And she said, well, I eat whatever I want. And of course, all the audience like, oh, we can eat whatever we want. Oh, that's, and she was like, wait, 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 wait. I work out for six days a week, like four hours a day. And then they're all like, uh, uh. She's like, yeah, because it's my job to look like this. And at the time, I remember it being one of the first times I heard like a Hollywood actress, like be like, no, like body standards are ridiculous. It's my job to look like this. So yeah, I eat whatever I want, but like I have to work out to maintain this. Now, of course, she's gone completely off the deep end and is complete batshit nuts like, you know, the rest of sort of older Hollywood people are. As <laughs> as the more you get removed from reality, the less and less things make sense. <laughs> um, but she, I just remember at the time, I was like, I didn't necessarily like her, but I was like, I respected her a little bit. Is she the the Hollywood mom that uh, chews her kids' food for them? <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> Possibly. There's a couple of them, I want to say, who do that. I wouldn't be surprised if she's been spotted wearing a tinfoil hat, eating food with the raccoons in the dumpster. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I mean, no. She would definitely not do that. She definitely is way too rich to do that. If she was eating with raccoons, it would be like the raccoons that they rescued, vaccinated, brought into just like Rome in her home. (laughs) <laughs> and they all wear tiaras. Yes, exactly. It would be those kind of records. Beautiful. Do, do, do we want to play that um, interview with Paltrow right now? Alrighty, this is a interview from the Hollywood Archive, and it's a clip of interviews with the cast of View from the Top. So, uh, demand apologies, you may not hear it, but this will be about three minutes. Frankly, people, you can be whatever you want. Oh, why do you want to be a stewardess? Um, because of all the travel opportunities. We fly from Laughlin to Fresno. Oh, it won't be fast. Captain, we are... Captain? It won't be smooth. You ever been on a plane before? Yeah, you know. <laughs> now, uh, do you like to fly? No. No, not so much. Oh, see, you ask me questions like that, I gotta keep knocking. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't like the idea of it so much i'm not a huge fan of flying if it could you know if i could avoid it for the rest of my life i would um i'm a sort of slightly nervous passenger i want my hand towels i want my little booties and i want my warm nut no you don't not Why? at all i just to to drag you have to sit down in one place and there's just other things i'd rather be doing than flying what do you think makes the the perfect flight attendant well 
um, they really are, they have to be incredibly knowledgeable about what's going on with the plane. I actually had, I think I had the experience with the best flight attendant I've ever been around in my entire life. I was on a flight coming back from New York by myself and I, I really started to have a, a little bit of a freak out and this gentleman, this amazing man, sat down next to me and held my hand and got about a foot away from my face and looked into my eyes and talked to me for 20 minutes. He talked to me not only about the safety of the plane, about what was going on with the plane, but just he was so gracious and lovely and spiritual and just so he gave his whole heart to me in that moment and that that's what I think makes a great flight attendant somebody who can just go you know what I am here for you I mean I'm here for your safety for your comfort and I'm gonna do everything that I can Welcome aboard. I definitely do have a, a greater admiration for what it takes to be a flight attendant. Put your hands on your knees. I don't want them flailing about in a crash. Probably um, uh, real flight attendants are trained by somebody who's considerably more sane than Mike Myers' character in our film. I'm John Whitney, head of the flight attendant trainee program. This one. That's the good one. Flight attendants who are just nice. <laughs> you know? Just be nice. We all gotta be on the crappy plane all together anyway, you know? It's just the wheels. We lost the wheels? Uh, uh, we're gonna crash! Donna. Oh my god! We're gonna crash! That would be bad to hear your flight attendant literally shrieking in fear. View from the top. Assess the window! It's assess the window. You put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Alrighty, so in that clip, you heard some of the supporting cast that we'll talk about in a little bit, which included Stacey Dash, Kelly Preston, Mark Ruffalo, Josh Molina, Mike Myers, and Rob Lowe. Oh, goodness. I guess she's been in court just recently, right? And yes, uh, yes, she was... I, I don't know if acquitted is the right word, but she was not found at fault for the ski accident. It did seem like that guy just said, you know what, this is my chance to make some money. So I'm right. glad she failed. But I, my favorite thing that came out of that is the meme of Gwyneth Paltrow, so of the picture of Gwyneth Paltrow, the guy's still sitting in court and they've just like acquitted her or whatever. And she gets up and she turns and leans down to him and says, I wish nothing but the best for you. And like people taking that picture and making it this huge meme is seriously like some someone took that meme and like put. Um, uh, oh, what's her name? Uh, Diane. Is it? It's not. Is it? It's not Diana Rigg. Um, from from Game of Thrones, like the old the old lady and Joffrey being like, I wish nothing but the best for you. <laughs> it's, again, it's I mean memes, right? You know, like, this was an awkward period of Gwyneth Paltrow's career for me because she was just fresh off of that terrible movie, The Talented Mr. Ripley. And I don't know that I've ever watched it more than once because I feel that that movie gave such a bad name for gay people. It was so weird. It's a movie that I own because I just own a lot of like gay movies. Mm -hmm. um, but I've, I've watched it like at least once or twice. But it is so 
cringy. I actually forgot that Gwyneth was in that movie. <laughs> Maybe that's for the best. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, because she, she, again, this was like Jude Law's heyday too, because like how many films had she done with Jude Law by that time? Right. Well, let's talk about Christina Applegate. Um, she played Christine, who's a friend, but later, well, <laughs> she's not such a friend. Uh, she's an American actress. She made her television debut at one year of age when she played a little baby on Days of Our Lives. Aww. And she started some commercials. Uh, she made, at the age of 13, she made her primetime TV movie debut as a young Grace Kelly. I can certainly see that. In a television biopic, Grace Kelly. And she appeared in her first television series. It was Showtime's political comedy called Washington in 1984. She played a congressman's daughter. She also guested on lots of TV shows at this time, like Father Murphy, Charles in Charge, Silver Spoons, All is Forgiven, Amazing Stories, Family Ties. But her big breakthrough as still a child actress came with the Fox sitcom Married with Children, which went on for 10, count them, 10 Endless years. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, but uh, she certainly made a name for herself. Right after that, she got a new uh, show just for herself. She played the titular character, Jess- Jessie. And uh, uh, she was widely praised with, for that. It only lasted a couple of years, but she got rave reviews. She had a lively stage career. In on off Broadway, in productions like The Axeman's Jazz, Nobody Leaves Empty Handed, The Run Through, John Cassavetti's The Third Day. She made her Broadway de- debut in 2004 as Charity Hope in a revival of the 1966 musical Sweet Charity. She was nominated for a Tony Award for that, and she won the 2005 Theater World Award. She established herself as a successful film career in her adult years with major roles in films like Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter Dead. Thank you, Katrina. Thank you, Katrina. I'm right on top of that, Rose. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She was in The Big Hit in 98. The Sweetest Thing, 2002, Grand Theft Parsons, Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy in 2004. She did the sequel, too. Uh, she did Vacation, not National Lampoon's Vacation, a different movie. Vacation in 2015, Bad Moms, 2016, Crash Pad, 2017. Now, here's the sad part, folks. I'm awful sorry to have to tell you this, but she was diagnosed with breast cancer. She had a double mastectomy and survived. And then right after this, the poor dear... Uh, announced she had multiple sclerosis. So talk about, man. But I'm also really happy to say she is still working. She is doing voice work. She is involved behind the scenes in movies as a producer. And she's real busy with her own philanthropic work. So good on her. How about that? I have always loved Christina Applegate. I think she's incredible. 
Um, her Broadway debut in Sweet Charity, uh, she famously broke her foot oh. uh, during previews, and they uh, and she barely recovered in time. I think she did opening night and then took like a break again, so that uh, then her understudy carried carried on in the show for a while just to make sure that she was like fully recovered. But she wanted to like do opening night or whatever. Um, so. With uh, I I remember when she announced because I I loved Jesse uh, I loved watching her and in, in her shows I loved uh, any most of those movies that you mentioned I I watched her and Sweetest Thing is definitely uh, a fun uh, girls gross out comedy of the two thousands um, but I remember when she announced her breast cancer diagnosis because her mother had passed away from breast cancer. And so when they told her that she had it, she was like, cool, we're getting rid of both of them. And then I'll have reconstructive surgery. She was just like, I'm not taking any chances. Let's just go. Uh, and with her um, more recent multiple sclerosis diagnosis, she's been a huge advocate for people with uh, mobility and uh, and disability issues. Um, just recently, uh, I think it was Candace Owens, who's garbage, um, made fun of Kim Kardashian, who is also garbage, but at least she does some things that are cute. Um, Kim Kardashian came out with um, an all-inclusive line of clothing, and part of the, one of the models for the clothing line was someone in a wheelchair, because part of the clothing line is that it's accessible for people with mobility issues to be able to get dressed by themselves. That's one of the selling points of the clothing line. And uh, Christina Applegate, like, real hard came out. She's like, do you have any idea what it takes for me to get dressed? She's like, it is a whole team of people that have to help me get dressed. And it's not because, like, I'm a diva who, like, oh, I need people to dress me. She's like, I literally can't get dressed by myself anymore. And so she was like, F y'all for, like, trying to say something, like, for like, thank yeah, it's Kim Kardashian, unfortunately, but like, thankfully, there's a clothing line out there that recognizes that there is there needs to be clothing made for, so people can feel a sense of independence for them to to get to get dressed again. As someone who used to work with adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities, it was also like a strong, <laughs> contentious mm -hmm. point for me that I was like, no, people feeling independent and a sense of dignity and pride in getting themselves ready. Uh, and and getting their clothes on is is a huge thing. So again, Christina Applegate, you're amazing and a star, and I love her. But before we talk about the supporting cast, our leading lady of tonight, Miss Demanda, could you tell us about the fabulous entrepreneur that wrote the book that inspired Donna? Absolutely. Once I find my delightful script again. So, Candace Bergen. Here she is. Uh, oh, Candace Bergen played Sally Weston. Uh, she's an American actress. Uh, her father, Edgar Bergen, was a very famous ventriloquist, comedian, actor on stage, screen, and radio. I didn't know that. Uh, she began appearing on her father's radio program at a young age in 1958. Uh, she then uh, seen with her father guesting on the Groucho Marx quiz show, You Bet Your Life, as Candy. <laughs> I love that. Mm -hmm. uh, she told Groucho that when she grew up, she wanted to design clothes. Candace Bergen is very fashionable, I will say. So that's... 
That's not surprising. Uh, her father died in 1978. In her memoir, she uh, called A Fine Romance, she mentioned that she was left out of her father's will while he bequeathed $10,000 to his dummy, Charlie McCarthy, adding that she felt her father had a stronger bond with Charlie than her. Oh. Oopsie. I even feel like that that to me is even worse than like Joan Crawford just writing her children out of the will. Like just like writing out of the will is fine, but then like but also then leaving money to your dummy <laughs> <laughs> for what? Um, she attended the University of Pennsylvania, where she was uh, elected homecoming queen and Miss University. Uh, she, but she was asked to leave at the end of her sophomore year for failing grades. Ah, oh, <laughs> Escondolo. But in 1992, she received an honorary doctorate from uh, from the University of Pennsylvania. She began she began her career as a fashion model and appeared on the cover of Vogue before she made her screen debut in the film The Group in 1966. She's starred in several films since then: The Sand Pebbles, Soldier Blue, Carnal Knowledge, and The Wind and the Lion. She was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for the BAFTA Award for her supporting role in Gandhi. I, that's that's a movie that I've never seen. I have to say, it's one of those um, it's one of those epic kind of movies. Yeah, kind of. Uh, so uh, along with View from the Top, this sort of era of Candace Bergen was her playing sort of like the sassy older woman uh, counterpart to our uh, younger protagonist, where she was in Miss Congeniality, Sweet Home Alabama. The Women, Bride Wars, Book Club, Let Them All Talk, and, of course, Sex in the City. Um, she also uh, did some villainous roles in some of those, which is super fun. She is most well-known for her 10-year run in the CBS sitcom Murphy Brown, for which she won five Primetime Emmy Awards and two Golden Globes. And in, from 2005 to 2008, she portrayed Shirley Schmidt, in the ABC drama Boston Legal. She made her Broadway debut in 1984, Hurley Burley, and started in the revivals of The Best Man and Love Letters. So you guys, when this movie started, I did not expect to like the character of Sally that Candace portrayed. I figured there's, you know, uh, I, she's going to lead her astray. But turns out she doesn't intentionally lead her astray and she really is a good person and she really does try to help her but at first i was very leery of her i i I think it was the era of the movies that she was in at the time like again with miss congeniality and the women and like again just this era of candace bergen was she and even her character in sex in the city that she did on the show and then into the movies um she she was not very helpful, or even even the antagonist in some in some of those movies. Uh, um, oh, Sweet Home Alabama was is, is another one. So yeah, I mean, definitely you. I, I I feel your vibe on that. But yeah, I'm very glad that she turned out to actually be a very a very lovely character and likable, very likable. Yes. Some might say she actually kind of saved the day, minor spoiler, towards the end of the film. They, yeah, oh, definitely. They have a heart-to-heart, uh, Donna and uh, Miss Sally Weston. 
And I just love that name because it reminds you of the fancy hotels that I don't of think course. go by that name still, but hey. <laughs> uh, the, another supporting character is uh, Mark Ruffalo. Now, I've never seen him in anything except Dr. Banner in the Marvel movies. And of course, he's much younger here. And when he first came on, I just thought, gosh, that guy looks familiar. And I also said, my God, where has he been all my life? Why isn't he my husband? But anyway, <laughs> uh, he, he's quite appealing. And it's uh, uh, a great, like, he just seems like such a catch. And so Mark Ruffalo, this is also his romantic comedy era before he then went into the Marvel movies and some like more serious stuff. Because like this was the uh, 13 going on 30. Uh, he was in this. He was in like a bunch of like sort of roles like this where he was just kind of like the very hot, lovable guy uh, that our, our female protagonist uh, was into. Uh, so I was definitely very much into him by the time he played Bruce Banner. Uh, I, I've never been a Hulk fan, but I'm like, mm, Mark Ruffalo, I'm into it. I'm here for it. And it's, Absolutely. And it's no wonder this film was bound to come up in discussion with an appearance demanda, because we previously talked about Clueless, and who from Clueless was in this film, Demanda? Oh, Stacy Dash. I, every time I see her now, I'm so mad. She makes me like the mo Clueless and her legacy. And again, anytime Stacy Dash shows up, I'm so mad because she is such just a stupid conservative pundit. And it it's so frustrating. I mean, again, girl, live your life. Cool, cool, cool. Whatever, whatever. But no, thank you. So again. <laughs> I, I'm glad that her appearance is a minor, just in the the school portion of of the of the sh the movie. But uh, when she when she turned up to dinner, I was like, "Who invited Stacy Dash? Get her out of here!" <laughs> That's funny. And you know, uh, it's it's interesting that there are two supporting cast members that uh, have worked together before in this. Now, um, let's see, Rob Lowe and. Josh Molina are in some of the training scenes in View from the Top. Now, if you're a Martin Sheen fan, you'll have watched NBC's The West Wing, and Rob Lowe played the, um, well, one of the staff members at the White House at the time. His character gets into a scandal through dating a sex worker, and then he ends up getting replaced by someone played by Josh Molina. So it's almost like a mini West Wing reunion watching this. <laughs> which, came, which came first, this movie? You know, and then West Wing? I think they were possibly being made at the same time. I, 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 I was going to say, it's just so interesting when you think about like the microcosm of Hollywood about like when things are happening at the same time like for example her uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's first boyfriend in the movie is uh, Buffy's oh what's his and uh, I can't remember what the character's name is but he's the second boyfriend after Angel when Buffy's in college and so he was trying to then post Buffy break into movies as well so he did this he did one of those um first daughter movies. I think he was in the one with uh, Kate Hudson because there was the one with Mandy Moore and then the one with Kate Hudson, not Kate Hudson, Katie Holmes. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so it's just interesting, again, like the people who are in 
movies at the time are usually, you know, it's it's just interesting that you know it's it's like the same people at the same time. Yeah, and in this movie, Rob Lowe is really little more than uh, a walk-on character, just a little bit more than uh, you know a brief appearance. If he worked for more than a day, I would be shocked. Yeah, but let's talk about Mike Myers, who undeniably for me anyways super funny and goofy as the teacher instructor with the weird eyes <laughs> do you think was that like did he hold those his eyes like that or oh, was that something I, he they probably did, did. So this is also like you know peak era Mike Myers uh, you know after I think that at least the first two Austin Powers had come out by by this point after which my favorite Mike Myers film is So I Married an Axe Murderer oh yes uh, um but uh he just I, I guarantee they approached him to be this like teacher character and he was like so I have a whole backstory this person has an eye disease and so I'm going to be cross-eyed the whole time it's going to be a running joke because he loves those like weird disability running jokes which is a thing it was 2003 it was a different time um but it it like at first it's just like a sight gag and it's like you, you, you it's like a joke but then at the towards the end of that character's arc it does sort of like inform you as to why that character is who he is where he he's the quote best flight attendant but because of his disability because he has to be able to see uh you know 2020 vision uh, on a plane uh so he has to, yeah, so he can't be a flight attendant which is you know just kind of kind of sad um but anyway again did he have some of the best lines yes the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable mm-hmm. is again a, a great line and and my impression demanda is is that uh, he took off from the script Oh, 100%. And, and was there, There's no way any of those lines were written in the script. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it shows his brilliance. And also, at the end, as you said, we learn his backstory. And, you know, he's quite jealous that Gwyneth Paltrow has risen to the extent she has merely on the word of this author, played by Kenneth Bergen. And... And and then there's a moment where we really feel for him. And my mark for a comedy, a good comedy, is that it, for me, it has to have a heart. There has to be something there. Everybody loves National Lampoon's vacation, Christmas vacation. To me, that movie is one goofy scene after another. No heart anywhere. This is a better movie for me. Tootsie is my idea of a great comedy. Now, View from the Top doesn't reach that level, but this movie has a heart. I hope. Yeah, it, it, yeah it definitely, it definitely goes for it. It it is a sweet little rom com like it, it it is. Yeah. I thought it was clever at the end. It just wouldn't have worked if she had walked into the home of her boyfriend after all that time and stood in front of Mark Ruffalo and said those lines. Instead, they had 
her say them to his grandmother, who's a little out of it. Right. And uh, she knows she's not really hearing, but she's got to say that. And I thought that really worked well. And then lo and behold, Mark Ruffalo was standing somewhere off stage. And yeah, it, 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 it's a it's a great movie slash theater trope where a character thinks that they can speak their innermost heart because no one's listening to them, but really the person that they needed to speak to is, and that's that that is kind of sweet. Yeah, and uh, the last wink and nod is at the very end. We find out she's surpassed being an airliner. She's piloting a damn plane. I thought that was great. That was a great ending. What do you guys feel about movies? And this was a common thing. I don't think this movie started it. Maybe it did. But uh, after when the credits are rolling, bloopers play and other things. And they're doing some special things. What, how do you feel about that? That, that definitely started in, in the 90s. Uh, with with some movies, especially the Pixar films, uh, picked up on that trend. So I remember watching those obviously when I when I was younger. But several movies of that time, and I want to say several Mike Myers movies oh, were yeah. like that. Um, so that it, 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 it's fun because uh, this is also sort of like the like. Before the boom of like DVDs, where like the bonus features and like bloopers and stuff is like the selling point of the DVD. So like it's kind of fun to be able to like watch to watch bloopers. It's I think fun. so too. I mean, you wouldn't want to see that on Sophie's Choice. Oh, no. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, oh no! Oh my God! Are are oh, we no. are we in the beginning of April and we're talking about Easter eggs? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Charming, but, but, but yeah, like obvious, obviously, like when it's appropriate. Because yeah, again, c- could you imagine the blooper reel that's like on Sophie's Choice or like Schindler's List, oh. like fucking up a line, and be like, oh shit, <laughs> like how weird would it be? <laughs> like, um, I think that's a, it's a fun way to end the movie, and it just makes me feel good. And you know, I'm smiling, I'm laughing. It's it, I, it's great, and also like. B- you know, pre-Marvel, which also, Marvel didn't start the mid credit scene. That was actually Matrix um, that did that in, like, 1999 or 2000 or whenever the... Oh, no, this year, 2003, when the second movie came out, because it was the first time that the trailer for the next movie, you had to wait for the credits to be over before you, you got to see the preview of the next movie. Um, mm. But, like... You know, before people like sat down and actually like watched credits, it was a good way to sort of get people to like watch the credits and like see the names of the people who like worked really hard on these films and not just the actors and the and the you know people before which again, not to like really derail this conversation, but like that was the big argument when Star Wars happened, because George Lucas was the first person to be like, I don't want credits, I just want to start the movie. Mm. And everyone was yeah. like, no, you need to put the credits beforehand because people need to see, like, you know, when you get the program at the, at the, and in the theater, like, so that way people can read the program before the show starts. And he was like, no, I just want to get right into the movie. And like, so, like the unions protested, like it was a huge thing. And I think he said that he would pay the fines or something for it. 
Uh, I don't quite remember how that was resolved, but then it became that you don't have to have the credits in the beginning and you would put the credits at the end of the movie and then people wouldn't stay to watch the credits because, you know, they're like, movie's done. I don't need to watch anything else. I think the first time I remember... As credits become more and more and more, especially with, like, special effects and stuff, like, it, it, it isn't pragmatic to... Is that if that's the right word? To have, like, all of those credits before the movie. I think uh-huh. the first time that I paid attention to the end credits in a movie was during one of the Naked Gun films with Leslie Nielsen, and he gave away Grandma's uh, fudge brownie recipe. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, th- there used to be, like, interesting things like that in, in, in some older films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Demand, I'm curious uh, how you felt about the way this movie used fashion and hairstyling. For example, when they wanted to make Gwyneth Paltrow seem kind of her ditziest, they swept her hair back and it kind of mounded on top. And she, I mean, she looked, uh, you know, a little more loose. And then uh, later on, just the, the changes. Can you talk about that? That really interests me. Also, the way she, they had the scene where she's finally putting on that uniform that she waited so long to wear. And, and we see her putting on the shoes and the dress. What, what did you think about all that? So... As a costume person, like I, I, I noticed all of those same things that that you did. Um, it is interesting how they use hair and costume in this movie. Also, sometimes in the movie, I wasn't convinced whether or not it was Gwyneth Paltrow's hair because uh, <laughs> some some of those definitely looked like wigs, um, which is again fine, like you know whatever, whatever. But uh, it was it was interesting that anytime Gwyneth. Uh, Donna in the movie needed to appear serious or feeling like real emotion. She needed to have flat hair, um, which was very interesting to me. Um, Even when she was, uh, so like when she first gets sent to express, instead of having like sort of those fun hairstyles when she was like, I'm excited and doing stuff. Her, like her hair was super flat and she gave like, flat reads to the to the people is very interesting. And then when she becomes first class international, even though this is what she wanted, her hair was still flat, but it was pulled into a super tight bun. Um, but then when she's then to go feel emotions, when she gets to Mark Ruffalo's parents' house, she takes it out in her hair. It's still flattened down, but it's it's out instead of like in that like tight slicked back. Uh, so it is interesting that uh, that they that that to me that's a sign of a good uh, hairstylist for theater and film where they use hair to help tell the story um, and costumes very very much the same. Uh, the the idea of her dream, uh, you know, Candace Bergen when she's at Sandy Weston's house at Candace Bergen's house and she like pulls her old uniform, be like, say it. First class, international, Paris. Like, so, like, to her, that is the dream. And so then the scene of her putting on that uniform to be first class international and her realizing her dream is a very poignant thing. To me, similarly, not quite the same, but similar. It's like 
watching Batman put on like the bat suit. Like it's like she's she's achieved her her goal. She's done her thing. Or like you know, at superhero origin stories when they first put on like their superhero suit, um, like it's she she did it, and then she finds out that that's not exactly what she wants. Um, and so her goals then change, uh, which is fine. Uh, but yeah, it was, I think, I think this movie, again, it's not a great poignant, it's not like Schindler's List use of costumes with like the girl in the red coat, right. kind of, kind of like message through costume, but it shows that it's a, a good costume and, and hair department where they're actually helping tell the story, uh, with, without being too distracting. Yeah, nice. Yeah, uh, we're gonna have to wrap it up soon, but I I do want to ask everybody their favorite scene. For me, because I am such a lover of slapstick comedy, the fight scene, <laughs> the fight scene. That's great. First of all, like, I mean, it was a serious fight scene. They weren't kidding around. <laughs> and when she got. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow on the floor with her face down and got on her back and grabbed her head, I was thinking, no, you're not going there. This is too much. But then she takes a loaf of bread and puts it on. <laughs> what a genius move. What a genius move. That gave me the biggest laugh of the whole movie. I laughed hard at that. What was your... Who, who has some... What made you guys laugh? My, my favorite part of the movie that made me, like, literally, I remember the first time I watched it, scream out loud laughing. So, again, her whole goal is to become a flight attendant. So she gets a job as a flight attendant, and she gets on the airplane with Kelly Preston, and she's following all the rules, and she's doing all the pre-checks, and she's doing the stuff, and Kelly Preston's character is like, oh, good job, like, this girl's doing good. And then she's like, what's going on? And she's like, have you ever been on a plane before? And she's like, no, and she's like, "We're gonna die!" And like, gets out of, gets out of it. We're all going down. We're all gonna die. High, hilarious. I, I laughed. So I remember watching it for the first time, laughing so hard that point I get because it's like, "Oh, I'm gonna come a flight attendant," and then it's like, "Oh, I've never been on a plane before," and it's it's weird. Like the first time you're on a plane and you're like, "Oh no, we're in the air." How this plane is in the air, the science doesn't make sense. And if you think about it too hard, you're gonna drive yourself insane. It's it's it was a great scene. I love it. <laughs> ah, that's a great one, DJ. How about you? Oh well, this is gonna sound a little sadistic, but maybe you'll get to know me better that way. Um, so I really laughed when you know she had that period where she kept repeating that mantra. Paris First Class International, because one of the subtle undertones of this movie, sort of the moral of the story is to be careful what you wish for, because you might get it. And so, of course, she, spoiler, eventually does get the dream job. And the part where it made me laugh is she's having her first day on the job and she is Paris first class international and the customers are driving her up a wall. Miss, miss, more champagne, please. And she again, she manages to injure one of the passengers on her first day. And that just makes me feel like any time where I've been at a company maybe too long, 
maybe I've got a coworker who applied for a promotion for the same job as me, and they got it instead of me. I kind of laughed afterwards because they ended up not liking it, and it was just kind of par for the course that maybe I wasn't meant to have that. So she maybe wasn't meant to have it because it wasn't a very good first day on the job. <laughs> That's a good one, too. Well, um, Demanda, we, we didn't warn you about this, but sometimes what we always like to say what uh, what movie we'd also recommend if we thought people liked this movie. Um, and does anything come to mind? So, uh, yeah, uh, two, two movies in particular, uh, because they're, again, of the same sort of genre. So if you if you want, like, another, like, sweet ro- romantic comedy, also starring Mark Ruffalo, 13 going on 30, uh where uh, Je- uh, Jessica Gardner, is it Jessica Gardner? No, Jennifer Gardner, uh, uh, miraculously gets transported from being 13 to 30 and then discovers what her life is like. Super fun. The second one, if you want to go like more like raunchy comedy, <laughs> uh, Sweetest Thing, also starring Christina Applegate with Cameron Diaz and Selma Blair. Super good uh, lady, lady comedy. Uh, a little bit grossed me out. Also, like... It gets weird towards, like, the middle end, but we're here for a good time, not a long time. Um, you need to find the unrated version. I think it. I think the unrated version is on Netflix because there is a song that gets cut out of, like, the DVD version I have, the song got cut out of it because it is extremely inappropriate. <laughs> but definitely go see it. Fun side note about that movie, if you're someone who is a fan of uh, Grey's Anatomy and Private Practice, and in particular, Addison Grey, um, Kate Walsh, who is that actress, Addison, um, Kate Walsh is the Christina Applegate character in that movie because she and her best friend uh, wrote, her her best friend wrote that movie based on their hijinks when they used to live together. Hmm. JG, what about you? Or what would you recommend if people liked uh, View from the Top? Okay, well, I'm going to pick a movie that's from just the year before. This is a 2002 film, and it's a sort of a variation on a theme. It is a film about a career and somebody making life choices. But this stars Angelina Jolie and Tony Shalhoub. And in the sort of aspiring role that uh, Candace Bergen took in view from the top, we have Stockard Channing in this, and it's called Life or Something Like It. The story is a reporter interviews a psychic who tells her that she's going to die and her life is meaningless. Tony Shalhoub is a homeless prophet in this film. Okay. All right, interesting. I, I, I want to say I remember that movie, but I never saw it. Angelina Jolie is a blonde, kind of like she was um, in that Nicolas Cage movie where they steal cars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Forgetting the name right now. but Gone in 60 seconds. Yes. Kind of like that skier in Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, uh, this uh, recently was my first viewing of View from the Top. I, I didn't think. I wasn't prepared to like it as much as I did. I ended up just really kind of, I liked it a lot, a lot more than I thought I would. But it did remind me a lot of 2006's The Devil Wears Prada with Meryl Streep, who kind of plays the Candace Bergen character. 
And then Anne Hathaway kind of plays the Gwyneth Paltrow character. And it's about um, a college graduate who goes to New York City and lands a job as Priestley's co-assistant. Uh, and, and Priestley is the, the character Meryl Streep plays, Miranda Priestley. Anyways, I there were lots of this. It's about a woman seeking a career. It's also about a woman making choices, what I really want versus romance. In a lot of ways, it's kind of the same story. Devil Wears Pride is a comedy, but it's a much. It's kind of a more serious comedy than. View from the top, but that's what it really reminded of. If you like View from the Top, you might want to check out The Devil Wears Prada. All righty. So, Demanda, before we uh, exit out the lobby here, because, uh, well, Gertie, she's been uh, staffing the snack counter and we've got to get her to our boss. <laughs> Hands in your pockets. Oh, um, so if uh, you could please let our listeners know where we can find you when you're not uh, the in-flight entertainment. <laughs> yes, uh, please come follow me on social media across all platforms at Demanda Martini, D-M-A-N-D-A-M-A-R-T-I-N-I. Uh, I am going to be... Uh, kind of all over uh for the rest of this month uh, i do have a couple of gigs uh most notably uh i'm going to be a part of the nail salon at st vincent's wine on sunday the 16th um on my birthday the 29th i'm going to be doing a very special drag story hour for the lgbtq caucus of congress which is really exciting um but I have a few other uh, gigs in between them. And uh, the big kind of news is that May 20th, uh, I'm going to be traveling to Portland, Oregon to be a part of Homo Superior, an all X-Men uh, drag queer dance party. Uh, so if you wow. are out, so if you are in Portland or want to come on out to Portland, uh, Please come out. Uh, it's going to be myself and my uh, cosplay BFF Dax exclamation point and some amazingly talented Portland drag uh, artists uh, performing out there. Amazing, Demanda. I follow you on Twitter, and by you are the busiest drag queen I've ever <laughs> seen or known. I don't know how you do it. It's a lot of spreadsheets. <laughs> well before we go let me just thank the chat room we do this live and there is a chat room and I, I I love it when people come by and be with us and participate in the chat room thank you tonight to Crone uh, and thank you to Billy Starstage DJ's husband thank you to our old pal Tommy Hatch Browns and um, thank you just for being here and supporting us. And also uh, from New York City, uh, Lamont Cranston was with us tonight. Uh, hi, Lamont. Great to see you here once again. So thank you all. Um, next time, right, DJ? Yeah, so here's the part where we're going to jingle some coins, kind of like in a coffee can. Demanda won't hear it, but a magician left us some coins, and this is how we figure out what's coming up next. Ooh. 
All right, Toppy, will you grab that capsule for us? All right, let me check it out. Open it up here. Read the. Oh, ooh. Oh, we're changing gears next time, folks. It's a critically acclaimed American disaster thriller film. Woo! Boy. Uh, <laughs> uh, written and directed by James Bridges. Well, coincidentally, he was the guy that did The Paper Chase, which we did uh, an episode back. It features stellar, and I do mean really good performances, by Jane Fonda, Jack Lemmon, Michael Douglas. And this is only his third movie, so he's pretty young in here. And the plot follows a television reporter and her cameraman, uh, Fonda and Douglas, who discover safety cover-ups at a nuclear power plant. It's called the China Syndrome. came out in 1979 in possibly one of the weirdest cinematic coincidences in history. The China Syndrome was theatrically released on March 16, 1979, 12 days before an occurrence at Three Mile Island Nuclear Plant in Dauphin County, Pennsylvania, in which Three Mile Island suffered an accident that seemed to mimic the plot of the movie along with the threat of a real China Syndrome scenario. The China Syndrome being the plant melts down and the stuff just keeps going down right to the center then off to China. The true life accident gave the film's subject matter an unexpected feeling of dread, gravitas, and realness. And I lived it, and I remember it. And it was fucked up. By the way, this actual event significantly increased the box office earnings. <laughs> Anyways, I bet it did. Wow. It is a thrilling movie with great performances, critically acclaimed. We're going to see that. We're going to check out the China Syndrome next time on Matt Minusha. How many times, how often do you get to see Jack Lemon and Jane Fonda share a screen together? Honestly. I don't know. That's that itself is worth the price of admission. Okay, well, we want to thank our returning splendiferous guest, Miss Demanda Martini. Aww, and thank you. Uh, we hope we will see you again in uh, maybe September, as the song goes. And yeah. um, you know, as always, check her out on the social medias there, Demanda Martini, because you got to have one. <laughs> you got you gotta have one. You gotta have one. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna give a round of applause to our chat room tonight. Indeed you do. Um I think I'll thank him again. Uh, Billy Stars H. Crone, Lamont Cranston, and Tommy Ash Brown. Thank y'all. All right. So Toppy, if you would say goodnight in the ways of the old days of radio. And by that I mean George Burns and Gracie Allen. Say goodnight, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live on the first and third Friday of the month. Go to univospods.net. Click the tower for audio. Enter Discord for chat. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Tweet us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Find our group on Facebook 
Have an idea for a show? Or why not let us know how we're doing? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. And I want to ask, how's your time? Do you need to be somewhere? Oh, no, I'm, I, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. All right. DJ, keep recording. Sure. I, I can't not ask this question, given what's going on in the world today, Demanda. And I'm really curious, because I know you participate in things like reading children's books to children. And in light of this weird backlash that we're seeing from the ultra-right, maybe not even the ultra-right, it seems like more. It just seems like, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's so effed up. You're in this, and I'd love to get your thoughts. Um, <laughs> it's really scary i'm not i'm not gonna gonna lie um i oh toppy you hit me for a second um so uh i i believe in what i do uh so for those people who again we're still recording um drag story hour is about uh entertaining children and it's also about showing kids that it's okay to be different one of the books that i read is called it's okay to be different and um i don't do this to turn straight kids gay i do this so that way gay kids live um after the first time (laughs) again first time that I was interrupted by protesters. The very next day, a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in 10 years, uh, her gender non-conforming child uh, was so excited to see me. And they came and ran up to me and said, I'm so excited to see someone like me. And that's that's why I do this. Um, so I have had several protesters come to uh, events that I have done. Uh, I have had the very scary Proud Boys come when there were no counter-protesters. So I was by myself, walking to my car, surrounded by, I don't know, 50 people screaming at me, shouting things at me, uh, throwing things uh, on my car, uh, taking pictures of me, taking pictures of my license plate. Um, Very scary. I had to have, uh, I didn't have to, but um, I took a meeting with uh, an anti-fascist social media expert, which the fact that that's even like a job that someone has is so wild to me. Uh, And she kind of flat out told me that I am really open and vulnerable to people finding me. uh, And that was after... uh, people found my home address and sent things to me. Uh, unfortunately, I am a homeowner. Um, again, fortunately, unfortunately, you know, humble bragging, but I'm a homeowner. Uh, my legal name is also fairly unique. And so it's easy to to Google and find. Um, and I'm also an extrovert. And so I overshare on social media. Um, and it's when bad people want to find you, it's easy for them to find you. And uh, it's very, it's very scary. Um, Like after meeting with that woman, 
I, I I still haven't followed all of her suggestions yet because it's overwhelming to think about like, yes, I have to delete uh, again on my Facebook, for example, like my personal Facebook, not my demand martini page, but like my personal Facebook, I have over like 1800 people that I'm friends with. Now, are those 1800 people like my dearest, closest friends? No. Um, but some of them are family. Some of them are people that I used to work with. Some of them are people I went to college with. Some are that I went to high school with. And the th- thing is, it may not even be like those people that are a problem, but people that they are connected to. And so when you're friends of friends of people on sites like Facebook, um, people can find you. Like, it's easy to be able to track you down. And um, realizing that you're that open and vulnerable to those kind of people is is very scary. Uh, again, I, again, knock on wood, and I don't really want to put this out in the universe, but, like, I haven't been at one where, like, violence has taken place. However, uh, the one, the... Uh, you may have seen, again, you say you follow me on Twitter, the one that I recently did at the only theater, um, we had so many anti-protesters, which was so wonderful and great, and those people are wonderful. But when the Proud Boys showed up, it was the time that the protesters, the anti-protesters didn't show up because they're like, we did our job. We didn't, we don't need to come to this one. Um, And we get comfortable thinking that these people aren't going to show up. And then they do because we get comfortable thinking that we're okay. Um, And, uh, but, but anyway, the week before I did the one at only my friend Charlemagne did one and it was made national news because it was the first time that the proud boys ever got violent at one of these events and someone got their face smashed into a wall. Um, which is very, which is again very scary, um, and you know I get so many news outlets reaching out, wanting to talk to me, and anytime I do, it seems like yeah, in the moment everyone's like, oh, you're wonderful, you're gorgeous, we love you, and that's all wonderful, and I appreciate those people, but it's the days afterwards that then the trolls come in and they find you and they send you the ugly stuff and they track down who you are and they send you things to your home or, um, again, do do or say ugly things and. Uh, and so for the like journalists who write the story, their job is done. They moved on to their next story. It doesn't affect them anymore. I'm the person whose name and face is attached to this and continue to receive like the ugliness and hate behind it. Um, and so I have kind of kind of like lockdown where I don't talk to media sources anymore. I don't want to to like sort of do that sort of stuff anymore on a national level. I've now been in the Washington Post three times. Um, each time, it's cool at the beginning, and then it's not. Um, I've been mentioned in several like news news articles and news stories that are either on TV or published online, um, which, again, seems like that's cool, but it's also not. Um, and unfortunately... Uh, you know, as you said, I'm I'm a drag performer and I have a fairly healthy career, uh, you know, a local career, which is fine, but a fairly healthy one. And so I need to keep 
a social platform in order for me to continue to have the opportunities that I get. And it's such a gross double-edged sword of finding the balance between uh, being able to accept these cool gigs, like, for example, talking to you guys. Now, granted, obviously, I've known you guys for years now, so everything's, like, you know, so so it's all good. But, like, these cool opportunities, like going to, to shows at the um, National Theater uh, in D.C. Um, versus, like, the gross, ugly person who's going to send me something uh, telling me that I'm a horrible person and should burn in all eternity. Um, you know, and the, the ugly things are the things that stick with you longer. Um, so it's hard. Uh, it, uh, it took me about two weeks to respond to all of my emails today, uh, about drag story hours. Um, I want to continue to do them. They are something that I very much believe in doing and be a part of. Just yesterday, I had to block a cousin of mine because he is an idiot. Um, and it, it's, it's hard, but I believe in it. And my therapist even said, if it's something that I really feel like I need to do, then I need to weigh the risk and and keep doing it. Um, so I guess until people stop me from doing it, I'm going to keep doing it. I can tell from that response and, and watching you that this means a lot and there's a lot of meaning behind it and you've been deeply affected. Um, and I, I, <laughs> it's complicated and folks, uh, support your drag queens. But I gotta say, support your drag queens. They're doing more than you know. And to, to that, my favorite part of Farpoint was tipping you girls at the performance. <laughs> to be quite honest, that was my favorite part. And I want to tell you something else. They wanted to cut you off, and you wouldn't let them. And I oh, admired that. I okay. admired that a lot.